cliffcentral.com. How are you, JJ Cornish? I'm immensely well. How are you? You look extremely well, and I know that we've got lots to talk about this morning, so I'm, I'm delighted you could join us. It's, it's always a highlight for me in the week. JJ Cornish is here. He's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we're going to look at Africa. We were just talking about uh, Shepard Bushiri and his wife. So you've been, you've been watching this from the diplomatic point of view, and there's been a bit of a tete-a-tete between these two, right? Well, when I heard that Waterkloof Air Force Base was involved, I knew <laughs> that my ears would grow red with embarrassment at some point <laughs> in this story. You know, nothing so, can happen at Air Force Base Waterkloof except maybe taking off at Dakota or something like that. But anything else involves <laughs> huge embarrassment. What happened was that Lazarus, Lazarus Chakwera, 65-year-old theologian, former opposition leader, you know, assemblies of God minister for many, many years, comes here, I imagine, with his hand out to see uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, our president. He's mm-hmm. got some things to ask for, Malawi being one of the poorest countries on the planet and in serious trouble because of COVID. And uh, suddenly the Bushiris then loom. I don't know who gave our guys the intelligence that the Bushiris were trying to sneak aboard the Malawian plane. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Joyce, uh, 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 she, she, the former president, she sold the Malawian air, uh, uh, jet. Yes, correct. To save money. And, and, and remember, so I flew with her a few times. It was a, it was a real pain because the security meant that your flights were normally delayed an hour or two. Uh, but anyway, uh, she, she, she did that. I don't know if Lazarus, uh, has bought a new plane, but nevertheless, somebody got the idea that Shepard Bushiri was trying to sneak or was being snuck aboard mm-hmm. that, that this 65 year old priest would sneak a fugitive aboard the plane, I don't know. But it was kept waiting seven hours. Gareth, sure. can you dig it? Seven hours you keep the I presidential mean, plane waiting. You know, we're, uh, so, we're so they went back now, and, 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 and you know, then they, both sides denied that Bushiri was on the plane. Uh, but uh, now the Malawians have said, you can't treat our president this way. Hmm. So I imagine that whatever they're asking President Cyril Ramaphosa for, he's going to have to... <laughs> to view more sympathetically this time round. So this is very interesting because, of course, Shepard Bushiri did escape, however he did, whether it was on the plane or in some other way. And he's now back in Malawi. How are they treating that? Because clearly, you know, for them to keep someone who's essentially a fugitive in South Africa safe in Malawi would not go down very well at all. So there's still much to be uncovered here. Well, they have the, the information minister, uh, 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 Gospel Kazato says this is not an issue of common sense. This is not an issue of emotion. It's a very straightforward thing. We're a nation of laws, and if the law says we must extradite this man, we're going to have to do it. There's no question about it. Now, the thing is, uh, Malawi, one of the 14 SADC countries, is signatory to the extradition agreement on, under this under uh, the SADC agreement. And uh, so if it's found that he has to be extradited and processes have begun, then he'll do it. Uh, if he doesn't pitch up in uh, the Centurion Magistrates Court uh, on Thursday, he's going to lose. He and his wife, Mary, are going to lose their five and a half million rand house in Centurion. Hmm. Hmm. They're going to forfeit that because of the bail that they put up. 
Sure. So it's a question of, of uh, uh, you know, it's a diplomatic tiff now. The Malawians are briling at what the at the way their president was treated. The South Africans are saying, how did this man get back into the country? It shouldn't have been allowed. You know, the South Africans are not bad at spiriting people out of the country. Look at Omar al-Bashir. Remember when, right. when he was here and the judge said, hey, keep him. <laughs> Next yeah. thing you know. He was back in uh, in Sudan. So you know, I mean, this is what pe- this is what people do. And if the South African government believes the Malawian government was in any way complicit in this, there's going to be further. Well, I was going to say hell to pay, but you don't use that phrase in diplomatic language, do you? <laughs> and especially when you've got so many priests in the government. Yes. <laughs> but Mr. Cornish, I say trust the Minister of Information, whose name is Gospel. Yeah, can't go wrong there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, JJ, let's uh, return to a place that you've actually alerted us is, is probably the biggest story on the continent going forward, and it continues to be. So in Ethiopia, there's uh, some violence that's starting to spread there. Remind us again what the cause of all of this is and precisely what's going on in Ethiopia. Well, we have Abiy Ahmed, Nobel Peace Prize winner last year for making peace with neighboring Eritrea. Mm-hmm. Ethiopia, the second most populous country in Africa, 110 million people. His Oromo people are the most pop, the largest ethnic grouping, followed by the Amara. Now, um, Amhara, I mean, not Amara is the airport in right. <laughs> Ethiopia, in, in Eritrea that the Tigrayan people bombed. The Tigrayans are 6% of the population. However, they dominated politics and business for years and years and years. Now, when the Oromo president comes in, uh, the the ethnic violence doesn't stop, and the and the reforms that he has brought in has further aggravated the uh, Tigrayans who believe they've been marginalised. So, on the November the fourth, they attacked a government military base and killed a number of people. Now, uh, Abiy Ahmed responded very very strongly to that, came back at them. He's not prepared to talk to the Tigrayans. He's saying, no, you just want to dissolve and, and, and blow up the unity in, in this country. We're not even going to talk about it. But he's been that strong that at least 500 civilians have died in, the, in this recent conflict. The United Nations is saying that if this is true, he could face war crimes charges. So it's getting very serious. The Tigrayans saying, well, you're actually using... Eritrean Air Force bases or airports to attack us. Mm-hmm. So they've now shelled the uh, uh, airport, the airport in Eritrea, in neighboring Eritrea, escalating this whole conflict in the uh, Horn of Africa, which doesn't need it, you know, where you have Somalia and others. Well, both Kenya and Ugandan presidents, uh, Yaweri Museveni and Uhuru Kenyatta, have said, hey guys, make peace. The African Union is saying, come on. The United Nations is saying, come on. Everybody is. But at this point, uh, Abiy Ahmed is hanging tough and saying, I'm not talking to these Tigrayans. And, and they are just nothing but rebels. So it doesn't look good. He has promised that this will not deteriorate into a war, but people are already calling it that, I'm afraid. So, JJ, are, are these particularly big military powers? I mean, do, do the Eritreans have uh, lots of, of air hardware and and ammunition and troops and, you know, are, are they substantial countries in terms of their military abilities? 
Well, the Tigray is a group. It's not. And, and, no, no, and, no, but I'm talking say, about they dominated because, politics. Because they dominated now they've. The no, no, I'm saying so they would have made because, money because they've they they've drawn up. because they've drawn in the Eritreans and the Ethiopian government themselves. I'm I'm interested in those countries. You know, what do they look like in terms of their military capabilities? Well, Ethiopia has significant military capability. Significant, okay. as I say, second most populous country on 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 the continent. The Eritreans less so, although the Eritreans is the most repressive regime on the on the continent. They keep people up for you know they hmm. pull guys in for military service until probably my age, you know, which is late thirties. Right. Well, not quite. Not quite. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I'm lending yeah. myself to hyperbole there, but nevertheless, into their 60s, they have people doing military service. People, when you see people, boat people and others leaving Africa, you can count among them many, many Eritreans. So Azaria Savaki, the president, he is now at peace with uh, Ethiopia after having fought a very, very bitter war. And it is that peace, uh, brokering that peace, that won Abi Ahmed the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. But now bringing in, bringing Eritrea, whatever, however limited its forces may be, into the fight against them, the Tigrayans who say, well, you know, you, uh, Eritrea, always supported Ethiop the Ethiopian forces against us, uh, is, is doing nothing but asking for trouble. Mm. Nobody I know outside a support is supporting the Tigrayan cause, militarily supporting it. Morally, they might say, yes, well, they've got a case. They're being dis discriminated against in this way. They're being marginalized in this way. But if they do continue to shoot missiles into the neighboring countries, yeah. they, they're going to lose whatever support they might have. Yeah, that's quite something. I mean, this we've got to keep an eye on that. Now, very briefly, because I see we're out of time already, but uh, Zambia has gone into sovereign default. They aren't paying on uh, any interest on their euro bond. So what is this exactly? Give us the, the bones. Well, essentially, Zambia owes $4.8 billion, or owed that in 2015. Sure. Five years ago, that had doubled, and that was 48% of their GDP. Right now, sure. at the end of the year, they will have 70% of their G GDP in debt. They cannot pay the interest on this Eurobond. They've said so. They're the first country, an African country, to go into sovereign default in this uh, pandemic. So the rest of the continent's looking on with some trepidation at what will happen. China has given uh, the country another six-month holiday, a debt holiday. We understand, I understand via the British High Commissioner, Nigel Casey, that the G20 is going to get involved. Uh, and in looking at the debt of countries during the COVID crisis. But this is a very, very severe problem for uh, Zambia, certainly for the region. And, and we're looking at, I mean, we're all of us very, very, very tightly bound uh, by uh, the debt as a result of COVID. And what the what is done to Zambia going into default is something that we're going to have to look at very, very carefully. JJ, it's always good to see you, and uh, great to hear what you can uh, what you can teach us and 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 educate us on when it comes to the goings on in our very closest neighbourhood, the rest of this continent. And it seems that there's always plenty to discuss. So uh, I, I appreciate your your contribution this morning, as always. Thank you very much, JJ Cornish. Always a pleasure. JJ Cornish is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and you can find out more about what they do and how they're involved in Africa, and how they can also help you learn much more about this continent by going to cliffcentral.com and following the links.
Cliffcentral.com